Anyways, hold on a second. Uh, are we on the air? Let's see. Ah, yeah. You look at that. Little red blinky light says, on the air. All right. Let's hit it. Star Wars fans, grab your sunscreen and your blasters. You've tuned into the Scarif Podcast. This is the Scarif Scuttlebutt. That intro song was submitted by our good friend Ollie and his pupster in crime, Jasper. Uh, and I know you've seen uh, seen them walking down the street in the middle of the night uh, having a good old time. You can see them on Twitter doing God knows what at Ollie Sims. They are good guys. They're uh, one of our original scuttle buddies. Uh, you guys should definitely follow Ollie, and I think J- Jasper has a Twitter account too. He's uh, he's um, uh, Ollie's uh, pup. Great, great song. Thanks, Ollie, for that. Too cool. So yeah, it's been a fantastic ride with so many talented people that follow and listen to us. We've got Alex from Imperial Entanglements. Once again, thank you very much for helping us out while Brad is not with us he's uh out there uh working he's a military man so he is uh out there uh doing his thing don't get technical with me we had a lot of giveaways last week i think i went a little overboard with giveaways but i was really happy to give some stuff away everything from digital comic codes to funko pop figures two of them we we gave out uh, two sets and stickers stickers and more stickers so congratulations to Spicy Josh for getting that Funko Poe Dameron. That was pretty cool. That was from your question from last uh, the last episode we did. What was the uh, what was the question again, Alex? It was what was Poe Dameron's first line to Kylo Ren, which in The Force Awakens the first thing he says is, "So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. Exactly, and Spicy Josh got that. He was able to put that in a tweet specifically like we had it, and he, he did a uh, hashtag YoPo, uh, so that's fantastic. And then the other Funko Pop set that we had sitting in Brad's place for a long time is uh, the Leia R2 Glow-in-the-Dark Funko Pop. Congratulations to Brian Cooper. That is on its way as we speak, so thank you very much for uh, participating in our giveaways and uh, speaking of congratulations, the guys over at Coruscant Radio Underground did a breakout episode with a new podcast uh, show that I've been listening to, the Bombadcast podcast. Are you familiar with those guys? I am not. It's the uh, first time I've heard of them. 
Oh, definitely, uh, definitely check them out. They have uh, their name comes from obviously Jar Jar Binks being a fan of uh, the prequel trilogies. It seems like Jar Jar doesn't get enough love on the airwaves, so congratulations. <laughs> they uh, they met at celebration, decided to do a uh, a podcast. It's uh, it's an awesome thing. It's a it's a familiar story because uh, obviously. Uh, this podcast started uh, at Celebration as well. So congratulations on this new adventure, guys. I hope that uh, that one day maybe you'll have us and we can talk about, I don't know, Star Wars maybe? <laughs> yeah, welcome to the uh, podcasting world. Uh, enjoy it. It's a wild ride, and uh, get your voice out there. You never know uh, who you might meet on along the way. Excellent. Have you had any time to catch up on any new podcasts, Alex? Let's see. I've listened to um, one of my personal favorite podcasts is the Nerd Soup Podcast. Uh, those guys are pretty cool. I've caught up a couple on, on theirs. Um, and then my typical Joe Rogan, if I get a chance, I can listen to some of his stuff. But uh, nothing, nothing new new. Uh, I've yeah. been kind of... I've been trying to catch up with some of my classics that I listen to. I've been falling sure. behind recently. If you listen to the, you know, Star Wars news, uh, we've got a lot of uh, things that are cooking, a lot of things that are brewing. Let's start out with Star Wars news. You know, episode nine is right around the corner. It's a couple of months away. There's excitement in the air, Alex. There's excitement in the air. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things brewing right now. We got probably about maybe two months before uh, the massive PR push and the tour starts for for advertising for this thing with new trailers and whatnot. And uh, there's a couple. There's some rumblings in the news market right now with uh, interviews with Daisy Ridley for her her new movie. And of course, anytime you get an interview with Daisy Ridley, you're going to ask her about Star Wars. So there's some things going on with that. And of course, Mark Hamill. He's always willing to talk about Star Wars. He was recently promoting his new movie. Um, it was the Chucky horror movie, and uh, people were asking him about Episode Nine. So uh, there's some there's some rumbling starting. I think we're going to get the hype train moving here in the next couple of months. And uh, before you know it. We're going to be analyzing two-minute trailers pretty soon. It's kind of exciting. It's uh, I, I won't lie to you. I, uh, I'm very excited to see how J.J. is going to uh, wrap this thing up. It's been decades in the making, basically, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm very excited to see how this goes up. But you're right. Uh, they're doing the marketing for other films, and like you said, people just can't get enough of uh, of Star Wars and asking these uh, actors about our favorite franchise here. Uh, what is uh, Daisy Ridley saying? Uh, I'm glad you asked, Alex. So there's an article in IndieWire talks about Daisy Ridley, and uh, it's a very interesting quote. I, I've got it right here in front of me. You know, everybody is talking about, uh, for a while, they have been speculating and uh, trying to guess and uh, hoping and wishing and trying to figure out who's Ray's parents. Is she a Skywalker? Is she a Solo? There's a lot of uh, speculation going on about that. And uh, she's quoted as uh, saying that at the end of the film, you will know what the dealio is. And that's a quote. 
It's cool that uh, Daisy Ridley says Delio because uh, it brings her down to earth and uh, she's awesome for it. I'm not sure how much I can say. I guess because I've said that I'm solitary, that's how I begin. That is probably a big clue as to what um, <laughs> what it is. You know, there's rumors that you are, that Ray is the daughter of Han Solo. And oh, really? I never heard Ray. that. Really? <laughs> no, I, I did. I did. There were so many rumors. It's a trap! What are your thoughts on, on that quote? Well, there's definitely two, uh, two lines of thought with this. Uh, people who are fans of the theme of The Last Jedi, that anybody can be special. Uh, you know, Daisy Ridley's character, Rey, doesn't necessarily need to be a part of any bloodline to be special. She just is special because of who she is as a person. Which that's a valid th- line of thought if you want to if if you like that theme and then of course you have uh, some of the different side of the fandom where they want that connection that familial connection to the Skywalkers or uh, at the very least the Solos or and you know there's some kind of a some kind of a connection that the heroes are the are, are special because of who they are and who they're related to obviously Anakin was the chosen one Luke Skywalker was special because that's who his father was and you kind of continue on with those themes from the original trilogy and the prequels uh with this new trilogy ryan johnson wanted to go a different route and he decided that he wanted to to kind of change it up a little bit and make it uh go in a different direction i guess and of course you're going to have a a divergence of opinion with that um i'm hoping my personal opinion and i'm hoping that jj uh kind of finishes a little bit of what he started in the Force Awakens. I felt the Force Awakens was fairly obvious in its theme that Rey was somehow connected to Luke, uh, with the lightsaber being drawn to her, and uh, there was something going on there. And I, I'm I was hoping that JJ would finish off that story uh, in Nine. So that's my personal opinion. I hope that we do get some kind of a connection, whether she's a clone from uh, from Anakin or a clone from uh, from Luke somehow that the, the Empire was doing some kind of experiments on Jakku. That's kind of where my theory has been going, but, I, I, you know, I'm ready for pretty much anything as long as, it, uh, as long as it's a good story. I'm ready to go. That's one of the things that uh, I, I think deep down I don't really care who her parents are, but also deep down I'd like to say that it would be fascinating to have some sort of connection because it makes the narrative, I think, a little bit more richer. Uh, in my opinion, and I realize that are so, there are some people out there that think that's kind of a trite thing, uh, you know, uh, an idea, a concept that's been used over and over and over again, and they want Star Wars or that concept to kind of grow. And um, and there's nothing wrong with Ray being nobody's, you know, uh, child, and and she is who she is, but. There, uh, you were talking about some of the ideas that you uh, are were hoping for, and uh, there is a concept in the expanded universe that uh, I kind of see playing out here. And obviously, we're very early in the game here. I know it's two movies into the sequel trilogy, but we still don't know for sure. I heard a theory that uh, Ray was a clone or some sort of creation uh, very similar to Anakin, the way Anakin was created by the Force by Darth Plagueis, 
and uh, how Darth Plagueis wanted to use Anakin as a vessel. So I'm hearing also some rumblings that Rey is kind of a continuation of that. Early on, I heard that Rey was going to be the reincarnation of Anakin Skywalker, which I thought was kind of goofy. And maybe only because the word reincarnation kind of plays out a different way in my head. But as far as a creation of Palpatine at this point, since we already know that Palpatine is coming back in some way, I can kind of see that happening. Um, yeah. What are What are your thoughts on 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 her? And there's a lot of different places, a lot of different ways that this can go. Yeah, and that that's kind of part of the fun of Star Wars is we get to speculate and theory craft about what what the story may bring us and what you know in what direction we might go with these characters. And that's like I said, that's part of the best part of being a Star Wars fan and get to get super nerdy about this kind of stuff. But you are right. There's a lot of stuff in the expanded universe having to do with cloning. Uh, and of course, that force essence transfer that Palpatine uh, has been seen using in uh, in other iterations of of stories. I like pretty much any of those ideas will will work with me. I'm okay with any of that as long as the delivery is done is done well. Right. I I would like to see a Palpatine connection would be very interesting. And it reminded me when you said that back uh, in 2016, 2015, after The Force Awakens came out, there was a lot of uh, people analyzing Rey as a character, and there was actually... Somebody broke down the actual musical number of her theme song, you know, that... Oh, that's right. And they yeah. said that there's a couple of musical components in her theme song that match up eerily similar to Palpatine's. There's a couple of notes that string together that match what John Williams did with Palpatine's theme. And I thought that blew my mind. I thought that was absolutely like a stroke of genius if that were to come true, to have those two connections where if you play Ray's theme over the Emperor's theme, you get this mashup mix and these two are somehow connected. And I'm like, that would be just brilliant. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I, again, it's just a fan theory and it might have been. Might have been grasping at straws just a little bit on that one. But you know what, though? You know, all, all joking aside, I mean, that's one of the factors that I love about John Williams. He is a composer that puts so much thought and heart into his pieces that, uh, you know, without John Williams' music, uh, Star Wars would be a vastly different product. And I think the music itself... Uh, is a whole nother character in unto itself because you're right. There's just certain themes, there's certain uh, musical notes that you know going into it, who's going to appear, how they're related. You know, everything from Vader's theme kind of snuck in to Rogue One right before that priest goes in. You can see, you know, you see Anakin in the chamber. It's it's ominous at, at best. And obviously, uh, uh, John Williams didn't do Rogue One, John Williams' Vader theme is is present, is heavily present in that score. So I, I love that you brought that up, and I think it is something that fans should not ignore. Um, you know, again, we may be wrong, 
but it's definitely something to kind of pay attention to. Yeah, I, I love the ideas. I love the theories that people come up with. Um, it's it's so much fun to speculate on these things, and I think that's what made the Force Awakens as popular as it was for us older fans. We were we were jumping into these theories, and uh, and that's JJ's mo, right? The mystery box, like all sure. these mysteries that we can kind of unpack. So it was a lot of fun while it lasted, and uh, you know, the Last Jedi kind of went in a different direction with a lot of those themes and ideas. So it kind of threw people who like doing that kind of thing for a loop, like all those theories that we wanted to come true kind of went out the window a little bit. So um, we're kind of have to restart that hype engine again and try and get back into the swing of things with, uh, with Rise of Skywalker. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. So let me ask you this, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, trying to uh, outguess the director and, and, and speculate. Now, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of commentary based on this and, and people saying that because us fanboys are, are, tr- are speculating and, and trying to figure things out in our heads, when the story is actually played out, especially in the case of The Last Jedi, we are so disappointed that it didn't go our way and that that type of speculation leads to, you know, not liking a film for what it is. What, what do you think of that notion? Um, I would, I can definitely see where that line of thought comes from. There might be some out there who, who take it too far, take the theory crafting too far, and then when it doesn't come true, um, it ends up ir- irritating them uh, a little bit too much. Uh, but I think for the most part, people enjoy the speculation and the theory crafting. And even if it doesn't match what they came up with, as long as it plays within the same narrative direction, uh, we uh, most recent example of this will probably be the Game of Thrones, where you know the theories about what would happen in season eight were so vast, and there were so many different things out there that could have happened. And then when season eight came around. It wasn't necessarily that some of the things didn't come true or that weren't we did our theories weren't right. It was just the direction that the show went where it it didn't satisfy a lot of the people who enjoyed the show. Even if they were wrong, it could have still been done uh, in a way that was respectful to the narrative, to the characters that they had built up over seven seasons. And I think the same can be applied to Star Wars. We have 40 years of back history. Um, we have novels, we have comics, video games. People can theorize about what the storytellers might be coming up with, even if they're wrong, as long as they're respectful and as long as they continue the train of thought that has been built up over the past 40 years. I don't think it matters what happens as long as like as long as it's done properly. I think that's more what people were looking for. Like, uh, for instance, Luke Skywalker, you know, for the past 40 years has been this huge hero. And I was watching a, um, what was I watching? A movie um, where a, a hero was reluctant. He didn't want to, oh, it was uh, um, uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is on Netflix right now. The older Peter Parker didn't want to train the younger Spider-Man. He was fed up with his life. He was he gave up. He had lost all hope. I, it reminded me so much of what Ryan Johnson was trying to do with Luke. It was the same exact theme a younger version of this hero comes up and wants to be trained and wants to be, you know, wants somebody to lead the way and help them to become a hero and the hero rejects them. 
However, the difference I felt when I was watching Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is despite him not wanting to do it, it was a very quick turnaround where the older, grizzled Peter Parker took on the issue and, and, and went full in and became the hero reluctantly, but he still did the right thing. And I think it might have just been a presentation thing or the way it was delivered with Luke that didn't resonate well with people where maybe if the turnaround was a little quicker. Uh, for me personally, I think the moment that he spoke with R2-D2 should have been the turning point and it should have went... He should have turned from Grumpy Luke to Reven uh, Return of the Jedi Luke in that in that time period, in that moment. Yeah. But I totally forgot what your question was. I got off track. <laughs> yeah, so if it doesn't go the way you want, I think it's more just uh, it has to be consistent with the, the build-up and the characters that we've already established. Uh, the, the story can go in many different directions and people will still be satisfied. As long as the characters are consistent with what we have grown to know them as. So getting back to, uh, you know, I've already gotten yelled at for using the R word uh, retcon, but I, you know, and I say it in jest. So people are freaking out that we might see a definitive answer to who Ray's parents uh, are or her parental lineage that, in fact, maybe they were not paupers who sold her for drinking money and are dead in a grave on Jakku. Uh, you know, I've always maintained that uh, Kylo Ren, uh, you know, in order to be able to manipulate her, was lying to her. You know, Kylo reached into Rey, and and that's what Rey felt, and that's what. Uh, but maybe the truth is is something different. And Star Wars has always played on certain points of view, and I think here is a perfect example of that. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do subscribe to that theory. Uh, if in The Last Jedi when Kylo is talking to Rey and trying to convince her to come to his side, uh, it very much fits into the M.O. of a Star Wars villain to try and lie and manipulate certain facts to get somebody to turn to their side. Um, we know that this was very true with Palpatine. He manipulated and, and, and kind of skewed the version of reality for Anakin to get him to become his apprentice. And I think that uh, if somebody is concerned that Ray's parentage is going to be a retcon in Episode Nine, uh, I think there's I think there's a narrative plot line that you can follow even through the Last Jedi, despite its kind of divergence from that storyline, that you can kind of still connect the dot. Like I like you know Kylo was lying to her, or maybe he didn't know all the truth and he was trying to manipulate her a little bit. Um, and then in Episode Nine, when we find out the real truth, similar to how. Luke, at the very end of Empire Strikes Back, finds out the real truth about his father. You know, we're going to find out the truth about Rey's parentage, and uh, and I think it, I think it's all going to connect. I think JJ is honestly uh, trying to finish what he started in in, uh, in the Force Awakens. You know, he's taking those mystery boxes and he's he's having the opportunity to unwrap them for us. Which I think there's a quote of him saying that he didn't expect to be able to do that. Like, he set up these mysteries for other directors and other writers to, to take them in the direction. And then when they called him back for nine, now it's thrust on him to, to finish these storylines. So uh, I'm hoping that he kind of, he brings that, uh, I don't want it to be like a straight retcon, but I do hope that he brings the story full circle for Ray. Because, I mean, let's be honest, guys, we don't even know her her last name is. 
<laughs> right. She's just Ray. It's just yeah. it's just, you know, there's Luke Skywalker, there's Ben Solo, all these main characters we've known and loved, Lando Calrissian, uh everybody has a last name except for Ray. We have to find out more information about her. It can't be it, this is this is not all she is. Ray McGillicuddy. So real fast, did you uh, watch, there was a uh, YouTube video released by ILM. It was a live broadcast, kind of an awards thing called Galactic Innovations. Did you check that out? I did. I was able to watch about 20 minutes of it while a gentleman was talking about Rogue One and uh, and splicing in some of the old footage from the 70s uh, into the new movie. It was a really cool, uh, it was a really cool speech. They were talking about the special effects and how far they've come and the things that they used to have to do that they don't have to worry about so much anymore. It was a really great, uh, really great YouTube video. I loved it. Uh, they honored some of the special effects maverick, mavericks of the original trilogy, like John Dykstra, Ken Ralston, uh, audio guy Ben Burt, uh, Phil, uh, I Am the Rancor Tippett, among others. The uh, special effects behind the scenes, the people that created that galaxy out of nothing, and sure, obviously, George Lucas was the one that thought of it all, but someone had to actually design and create Lucas's vision. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, where would Star Wars be without uh, some of those people behind the scenes? The drawings of Ralph McQuarrie, the sounds of Ben Burt. I mean, you name it. But again, that's, uh, that's one of the biggest reasons I got into Star Wars, because of the people behind the scenes, and I, I, uh, I love it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was great to showcase some of those, uh, those classic ILM uh, big wigs, you know, that, that started the whole thing from scratch. And I remember um, when I, I used to watch uh, the behind the scenes footage of the um, original trilogy and you get to see the guys driving by the, the flat model of the Death Star in a truck in the back seat. There's a guy with a camera and they're throwing firecrackers at it and making it blow up and stuff like that. It was an amazing innovation for the time period. And we look back at it now and we're like, people are doing this, you know, with their cell phones. So it's amazing how far we've come. And uh, and Star Wars has always been on the cutting edge and uh, of, of the special effects area. Uh, George Lucas built ILM because nobody else could do the job. And ILM has continued to be a shining light in the special effects industry. And uh, they're looked to as like the the cream of the crop. These are the guys that can get anything done. And uh, I love watching that kind of stuff. And I love that they're they're showing respect to the people who are doing it. And uh, I, I hope that that continues on. I hope that that trend moves forward. I know you were talking about um, taking on the Darth Vader immortal VR experience or whatever. I'm like... VR, I think, is probably going to be in the future a big thing, and I hope that ILM and and Star Wars and Lucasfilm and or Lucas Arts. I hope Lucas Arts comes back honestly and starts making video games again. <laughs> Cargo lane cleared for descent to level thirteen thirteen. Catch a deep breath. It'll be the last fresh air you'll get for a while. Fresh air is overrated. Let's see how you feel about that after you get a thousand levels down. As you know, Brad and I started this podcast back in April, right after Star Wars Celebration Chicago. 
there are folks that have been asking us uh, to have the podcast listed on some other um, services, I guess. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to Bad Kane, who helped me out a couple of nights ago. Uh, he suggested that uh, he wanted to listen to the podcast on something called Pocket Cast. Uh, so, uh, because he's a Pocket Cast user, I guess. Uh, so, if you are a Pocket Cast user, search for us and catch up on all the fun, uh, starting from our first episode, Star Wars Celebration. Thank you very much, Bad Kane. Uh, he kind of walked me through it, and uh, he actually submitted our podcast to Pocket Cast. So uh, that is pretty damn cool of him. Thank you very much. So speaking of Star Wars Celebration, we've got Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. Uh, it seems like it uh, sold out pretty fast. Did you keep track of that? Yeah, I think it took, what, two, two and a half days or something like that for yeah, the that's crazy. price tickets to sell out? Even the, the Jedi pack, which is a four-day deluxe that was, I, I I heard it was like $900 or something like that. It's like, who's buying these tickets? Yeah, yeah, it was something like $1,000, and it got it got sold out super quick, which is amazing. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad people are going. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because I thought Star Wars was dead. Yeah. <laughs> That is something that you hear on Twitter. <laughs> that is correct. Is, Star Wars is dead. No do. lines at Galaxy's Edge. No cars in the parking lot. Empty theaters during Solo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, celebration tickets are selling a lot of hotcakes. There seems to be an inconsistency in that narrative, and I'd love to break it down because I think I don't think there's a black and white answer. I think it's very nuanced, and uh, there's different reasons for things that are happening. So let's, you want to break it down? Let's break it down piece by yeah, piece. Yeah, let's, uh, so let's get right into our topic, is Star Wars dead? Uh, we posed that question on Twitter uh, just a couple of nights ago, and we got uh, some great responses. Thank you, everybody, for keeping it civil and uh, no name-calling. Like I said, we just posed the question. We wanted to have a, uh, a conversation with you guys. That's going to make this discussion uh, really, really good. What's up, Scuttle Buddies? Hey, I've got a special interview. I am joined by one of our Star Wars artist friends. And you guys know that we love to feature Star Wars art and artists of all sorts. Our first episode had some great interviews with some cosplayers that created some unique uh, Star Wars items and, and costumes over at Star Wars Celebration. We've, we've got another... Uh, artist that uh, we are friends with here in Chicago. My name is John Rodriguez, John Anthony Rodriguez. Uh, most, a lot of people call me Jar because that's just my initials and what, what my little logo looks like when I sign artwork. Um, and uh, I probably do a lot of traditional artwork with um, traditional tools like watercolors and, and colored pencils and stuff for pop uh, culture and comic books and just, you know, nostalgia and stuff like that. A lot of it is Star Wars artwork. And that's fantastic. We've seen a lot of Star Wars art. I've seen a lot of your art specifically. We met, uh, what What was the event that we met at? I was uh, working for the TV station. I believe it was Wizard World Chicago a few years ago. Yeah, that was fantastic. We met there, uh, got some shots of your work, and uh, you've uh, been generous enough to... Uh, 
draw a couple of things for my uh, family. Uh, in particular, you've uh, done a really, really great uh, Wally, which uh, my son at the time when Wally came out, he was just over the moon with with that film, and it's one of those movies that he watched over and over and over again. And you do a lot of great, great. Uh, Star Wars art, besides Star Wars, like you said, you you do some pop culture. You've got some comic book stuff and uh, really great stuff. We are uh, giving away five of your AT-AT prints, which when when I saw that, I, I had to I had to get one of those immediately. I framed it. Uh, I, I'm it's hanging uh, proudly in, in, as part of my collection. It's a really, really great piece. So we're going to give out five of those. Uh, once we reach our 700 uh, mark followers on our uh, Twitter page, and uh, we want to be able to feature a, a lot of art, uh, yours specifically with this giveaway, tell us a little bit about that specific print because it's, I think it speaks to me, and a lot of people that have seen it uh, really, really love it. Tell me what your inspiration for doing that print and and uh, how you came about it. I'm, I'm always been a, a, a huge star wars fan and, and i love the characters but i always was also drawn by by the vehicles like most kids who were you know born in the late 70s and grew up in the 80s i loved all all i had a huge collection of all the vehicles and stuff and i always loved the ad at the, the imperial walker and that scene in in empire was just I could just pop that scene and just watch that scene over and over again because it's one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars. I just always wanted to just draw that scene and just draw like, like how cold Hoth uh, looks and just getting that, that battle scene of these giant mechanical horses kind of attacking these little ships. kind of gears to my fandom i always think it comes out better so i i think that that particular piece shows that that it, it, it showed my my particular fandom toward that particular scene in star wars and you know all these years later empire strikes back came out in 1980 we are uh several years uh removed from that but it is one of those scenes in that particular film that is still really exciting and uh yeah. wonderful to watch oh absolutely i mean i even remember playing the atari uh empire strike back and it was basically just that scene oh <laughs> You're yeah down. yeah <laughs> yeah we loved it we loved it <laughs> that just appeals so much to my fandom that that i it kind of like a piece that i had to do you do uh other art as well you uh are you available for commissions and if so what kind of things uh do people ask you to draw Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I am available for commissions. Um, yeah, you, er, most people contact me through Instagram or they meet me at commission at the conventions. Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Jar of Comics. I'm pretty easy to find. And what I usually get commissioned for is uh, I get a lot of weird characters. <laughs> I think it's because I, I, my, my style is very detailed and can be kind of uh, gruesome with the amount of detail, especially on monsters and creepy characters. One of the things that I love about your work, and I follow you on Instagram and Twitter as well, but you post a lot more on Instagram, and that's where I see a lot yeah. of your work, is uh, yeah. I, I love the... I guess the point of view or the angle of a lot of your subject 
Um, I mean, yeah. especially take the edit, for instance, the uh, print that we're giving away, the uh, the way that you position the snow speeder against uh, in the foreground with the edit. Uh, there's just so much action that uh, that you captured in the, in that uh, in that form. It's 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 Thanks. fantastic, and it's one of the reasons that I love it so much. And a lot of your work has that extra little something. It's not uh, I would describe it as uh, it's not exactly like like candid shots of these characters. The like I said, the angles are are slightly different. Uh, it's composition is very interesting and, and, uh, uh, really, really great to look at. I try to, to format things almost cinematically. And I know not all comic book artists uh, do that. And some actually frown on it, but I do. I, 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 I find comics in general to be a very, um, it's basically storyboards. And so I feel like if a comic reads well, a, a director should be able to grab that comic and make a movie out of it because it's just the stories are in the pictures. So that's cool. So, John, thank you very much. Uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to share that I haven't asked you about your art, Star Wars, or otherwise? Follow me on Instagram. I'm always posting new artwork. Uh, I'm always working on stuff. It's pretty much I, I work in art full time. So there's always new, I always have new projects coming out. Um, so I appreciate you guys just giving a follow, comment, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. It's fun to even hear the criticisms of some of my stuff that I post <laughs> online. So, so it's fun to hear to to uh, to get you know people's feedback in my work online. You can follow me on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Jar of Comics. So J A R of Comics. I'm easy to find. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, John, and uh, thank you guys. <laughs> Uh, again, we are giving away five adats. I know you guys have seen the pictures; they are amazing. John, would you be opposed to signing each print for for our listeners? Absolutely, would absolutely would sign them for you. Awesome, awesome! So we are giving out five of those adat prints that are amazing. We love to feature Star Wars art and Star Wars artists like our friend John. And uh, that, my friends, is the Scuttlebutt. Yeah, we want to thank our friend John Rodriguez. He is an incredible artist. Check out his stuff on Instagram and Twitter, as we mentioned. So who wants to win an ad at signed by this great local Chicago artist. We've got a list of winners right here. We uh, put out that contest a couple of weeks ago, and you guys went uh, a little crazy. We love the fact that uh, we can give away stuff like this for people to enjoy. Here we go, guys. The list of winners for that AT-AT John Rodriguez original. If you hear your name, you are a winner. We've got five of them to give away. So we've got Carl Barrent. I hope I'm pronouncing everybody's name right. Carl, direct message us so you uh, can have uh, this poster. Next winner, we've got another podcast, Jedi Temple Archives podcast, JTA podcast. Give us a holler. 
And, of course, we have one of our favorite followers, a Mr. Daft Prawn. Mr. Prawn, who actually just recently got a little surprise uh, from Mrs. Daft Prawn. A, uh, what, one of our t-shirts out of Scarif, straight out of Scarif. And uh, he got that little surprise just the other day. Thank you guys very much for supporting the channel. And Mr. Daft Prawn, direct message us. You've got one coming. Winners, we got more winners. You get a card, you get a card. No, just kidding. You don't get a card, but you do get a really cool ad-ad print from local Chicago artist. So we've got another winner here, Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89. Amanda, let's see if I can pronounce her name, Parizzo, Pariso. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. But uh, Amanda, thank you very much. She says her favorite episode has to be the one with uh, the one that uh, the Le legacy of Leia Organa. And that's actually one of my favorites because we did it with Sci Fictionary. Uh, if you guys don't uh, subscribe to them, Coruscant Radio Underground, you guys should. They have got some great, great content. The Padawan Report and their website, SciFictionary.com. You should check them out for sure. But Amanda, you've got a poster coming to you, so go ahead and direct message us, and we'll get that out to you right away. And last but not least, I am pleased to announce that one of our Patreons, Patrons, Patrons, how do you say that? One of our patrons on Patreon has uh, uh, also won one of these adats, uh, Chad, Hyperspace and Holocrons. Chad, you've got a poster coming your way as well. Thank you very much again for being a patron on Patreon. Say that ten times fast. But uh, we want to thank everyone for entering this little giveaway. And, uh, you know, we're not done giving away stuff. Uh, check us out after you listen to the podcast. We've got some new stuff coming uh, your way in the future. But thank you very much, everyone, for your support, your participation, and your feedback. We really, really enjoy interacting with you guys. So, you know, I mean, obviously, I personally don't think Star Wars is dead, but as a fan, you know, a longtime fan who's disappointed, uh, um, probably as disappointed as Mark Hamill riding a Bantha in Lederhosen is, I, I think Star Wars fatigue is kind of a manufactured thing as well. I wanted to read some comments from people that uh, responded early on in that uh, question on Twitter. So uh, one of our followers, Madcap Munchkin, says, I doubt it's dead, but Lucasfilm did put a Ryan Johnson-sized bullet through its torso that put it in critical condition. Uh, it's a very colorful picture that uh, he <laughs> laid out there. And, very uh, creative. It's very creative, very interesting. But uh, we got a lot of comments like that. Uh, Sith Lord Felix says, Star Wars isn't dead, but it's in ICU right now, and it needs our prayers. R. Kester, who says uh, his handle is... X, well, let me see. X, XM Nas 444. Not dead, but it's certainly not the guaranteed money making juggernaut it once was. What's going on here? What are these people talking about? What do you think? 
Um, so there is definitely something going on. I think, I think it would be um, irresponsible to try and to ignore the issues that are have arised with the Star Wars fandom. Uh, there is a divide. Uh, there's a split. Uh, people are no longer as excited about Star Wars as they used to be. Uh, we know we get reports all the time of toys sitting on the shelf not being sold. Uh, new, the new characters from the sequel trilogies are in the dollar bin. Uh, we've got uh, the more recent rumors about Galaxy's Edge not not having enough traffic. Like, there's not really anybody there. But I do think there's several reasons for that specific example that don't really have much to do with the movies. I think there's other things with that. My personal opinion, I don't think it's dead. Uh, I think this podcast in itself is proof of that. We still have people who want to talk about Star Wars. We still have people who are greatly invested in uh, in the franchise, regardless of what one or one or two movies has done to it, um, or their personal personal ideas about what these movies. And that that kind of brings up a question. You're a little bit older than me. You've been a fan for a little bit longer, uh, just by default. I had a question for you because I, growing up, it seemed to be the popular thing to do was to make fun of the prequels. The prequels weren't perfect, and George Lucas took a lot of uh, flack for those for those three movies. And for the longest time, it was kind of like you know, it was the funny thing to joke about how bad the prequels were. That's part of the reason why George Lucas sold the franchise in the first place is because I think he was quoted saying one time, he's like, it's not really fun to make movies anymore when people tell you you're not doing it right. <laughs> so right. It's, um, my question to you would be, do you see a similarity in the backlash from the prequels back in the early 2000s as compared to the backlash with uh, The Last Jedi and what's been going on recently? Is there some kind of a comparison there or is that two different situations? You know, there's a little bit of comparison, and uh, I can't exactly say the comparison is apples and apples or even apples to oranges because there are a lot of different scenarios and topics that go along with each aspect of that. I posed the same question to somebody on Twitter, and uh, they got a little, uh, I guess they got a little upset about it. But, but yeah, the prequel trilogy was not universally loved. Um, I do remember I went to Los Angeles for the premiere. I live in Chicago, and I went to Los Angeles for the premiere because obviously it was Star Wars. It was the biggest thing. Uh, I mean, people were were buying tickets to go see Meet Joe Black because uh, the trailer was in it, and they would just see the trailer and then just leave after. They wouldn't even stay to see the movie. I mean, it was it was it was a phenomenal thing when it comes to movie trailers. There hasn't been anything since, and there probably never will be anything like this again. The people that did not like the prequel trilogy are a little bit more forgiving because they realized that at least the creator of Star Wars was the one that did it. And now I'm seeing a lot of of hate for the sequel trilogy because I've heard it called, uh, you know, the the sequel trilogy now are just a it's just a group of fan films because it's not really George Lucas uh, or his story it's it's other people I don't know if that makes a difference in in the flack that both sets of trilogies took I don't know if I like that explanation because by default if you say that then that means that the beloved uh, EU which George Lucas has openly stated before that weren't really part of his story right 
Uh, that means that those are all just fan fiction. I, I don't know if I believe that. I think the Thrawn trilogy is very much worthy of being a part of the Star Wars story, at least back then. Sure. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if I subscribe to the everything's just fan fiction now uh, narrative. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Do you think it has something to do um, maybe with the lack of that spiritual element? I, I don't know if you could... I, that that kind of... That might have some holes in it. I'm sure somebody could push back on that idea, but... Um, George Lucas, like we talked about on the last podcast about the legacy of the Force, um, George Lucas very much so had humanity as a whole in mind with its spiritual connection, and that's what the Force was supposed to take the place of. And now with the sequel trilogy, it seems that we've kind of lost an element of that where the Force isn't really as special as it once was. It seems to be something that people can do uh, with uh, very little effort at all, and uh, I think some, that kind of um, doesn't sit quite right with some people. So. There's definitely like, there's definitely something going on with the franchise that is not sitting quite right with um, a, a good amount of the fans. And uh, but on the other hand, like we said, we had uh, Star Wars Celebration selling out, and I think, I, I think that's like a very unique thing because even people who despise the Last Jedi, I see on Twitter saying, are all excited that they got their tickets to Star Wars Celebration. So. They're still supporting the franchise, although they are extremely critical of uh, what's been going on lately with it. I I can't say it's dead. I don't think it is. I think it's it's in a weird direction right now, and maybe there's something that could happen that will fix it and kind of course correct. But uh, as a whole, I think the franchise is doing really well. Um, but we can talk about Galaxy's Edge because that's a very different beast. Uh, do you have any information on that, or do you want me to take the lead on it? We can yeah. definitely talk about Galaxy's Edge, but don't let me forget, there's one um, Twitter account that I really want to talk to about leaving the old fans behind in lieu of the new fans. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, yes. Galaxy's Edge, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, real quick, I want to backtrack just a little bit. You, there was a very telling statement, dead to me. So is Star Wars dead? Well, it depends on who you ask. I think people who are displeased with the current direction that it's going, they've kind of given up and they're kind of holding back onto their either prequel or original trilogy that they love so much. And they're just kind of leaving the rest of it. And at this point, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to have these movies that I love and I'm not going to pay any attention to that. So I think I think it really does come down to each individual person um, as to whether or not the franchise is kind of going in a direction that you don't really want it to go anymore and you're letting it go. You're, it's dead. You're, you're done with, with being disappointed or you're done with, uh, with, with what they're doing with the characters. Whatever the reason is, I think it does really come down to your personal preference and a personal I- idea of what Star Wars should be to you. So I think just to kind of put a blanket statement on that i think that would probably be the answer to the question is star wars dead i think it's it it's really up to each individual person um but we can talk about galaxy's edge so opening opening weekend or the or the grand opening of galaxy's edge was a huge event there was tons of people there uh, and like you said it was kind of weird to see that they brought uh harrison harrison ford mark hamill billy d williams and of course uh, bob Iger was there to present and i thought it was weird that they're this Galaxy's Edge is taking place on a far-off, like, rebel resistance base in the middle of nowhere where there's some kind of a First Order occupation going on. It's all sequel trilogy. Everything there is all sequel trilogy. And they bring in the original trilogy cast to kind of promote it opening weekend, which I thought was an odd choice considering you have Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, and Oscar Isaac still under contract 
to uh, to be present for these Star Wars events. I thought it was a weird decision to make. I mean, if you're going to bring somebody there, why not bring everybody? You know, old cast and new cast. You know, it's a big event. It's a brand new park for Disney. But anyway, and there was a lot of really great uh, buzz going on around it. And then it kind of died off a little bit. And then when the park finally opened to the public, it didn't quite get the um, the resounding you know ticket sales that it was hoping for. We hear reports that the lines are super short. There's not really that many people there. I think there's a very, very a big answer to this. It's not just one thing. I think it has a lot to do with uh, extra ticket prices, the extra cost of going to that particular park with it only having one ride available to use right now. The second ride that they're offering is not even going to be available until next year sometime. It's not completed yet. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the one of the main attractions is the Millennium Falcon, and the second to that would probably be building your own lightsaber uh, in that shop where you have a storyline where you sit down for about 20 to 30 minutes, you get a storyline presented to you, you get uh, help by a, one of the cast members to create your own lightsaber. You'd think that would be kind of a cool thing. That's an extra $200 on top of entering the park as it is, and we're hearing like reports already that those toys are not the best quality. They're they're breaking really quickly. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're they're just not really great quality for two hundred dollars. Whereas if you could spend two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars, you can get yourself like a saber forge or an FX force or something like that, and have like a really high quality saber for just a little bit more money. So it, it's. I think it has to do more with how expensive everything is, and then the lack of of drawn in like rides and stuff that you can go on. For me personally, I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, I'm spending all this extra money. Uh, I'm not really going to go and buy a bunch of trinkets. I don't, I'm not a collector, so buying overpriced toys and stuff is not really my thing. And the Millennium Falcon ride, more or less from the videos that I've seen, is just um, pretty much a VR experience where you sit in a chair and you watch a screen. You may, may have a little bit of interaction here and there with the controls in the Millennium Falcon cockpit, but overall you're just watching a video as opposed to uh, a more classic theme park where we would have rides like space mountain and you know the log ride and the jurassic world ride these are attractions that people actually want to go and experience i don't i don't see the draw in galaxy's edge that would bring a huge crowd like that there's not really anything there that people can't uh can't do without you know what i mean yeah it seems like it's uh it's just a, a one big photo op um, because obviously you're stepping into a place where the environment is very Star Wars. You've got the Millennium Falcon full, you know, full built uh, that you can take a picture in front of. Everybody that uh, that I am friends with uh, here in Chicago that are fans uh, have uh, were excited to see what Galaxy's Edge was all about. They, uh, you know, watched uh, the the press junkets, the the pictures. Uh, very exciting. But the one thing that I did hear, and this might go along with what you're saying, the one thing that I did hear from a lot of them is, you know what, I'm, I'm probably gonna not going to go the first year just to kind of get all the kinks out. Uh, it might be too full. I'm going to go next year. So I'm wondering if everybody is thinking the same thing, and that is one of the reasons that not a lot of people are, are heading down there. Yeah, that's very possible, too. They might want to be waiting. Also, it's summertime in California. It's freaking stupid hot out there. So, you know, it, it might pick up a little bit more in the fall and the wintertime where the weather is more con- uh, uh, good for people to walk around and visit. But for my personal experience, I, I would I want to see some rides, man. <laughs> yeah. I uh, There's there's a, a mock-up. I'm not sure if it was actually something made 
like a project made by Disney or if it was just a fan. Uh, but somebody made some kind of a mock-up of a Star Wars land. Oh, I did see that, yeah. One, yeah, one section of it with, was Hoth, and there was a roller coaster that, like, you were on a snowspeeder flying through doing the Battle of Hoth. And I was like, oh, that would be so much fun. And then you have another area that's all Endor, and you have AT-AT walkers, and it's, it, it looked more appealing to me. Like, that's something that I would want to go and, and experience. And you have the Death Star as kind of like the Epcot Center where, you know, there might be some rest, yeah. some restaurants inside of it or something like that. Like, it just seemed to be more appealing to have a, a more vast and, and worth the extra amount of money to go to be able to go on a ride that would kind of recreate some of the best moments of the franchise. Yeah, and I think some of the reports with Galaxy's Edge is, like I, like we were talking about before, it's all sequel trilogy stuff, and they have this main character who I'm not even sure who her name is because she's not in any of the movies. She's just a character that they invented specifically for the park. I'm like, well, like who is that going to draw in to the park? Like, you know, we need something. Something typically would be re- recognizable, like, oh, there's Darth Vader or, oh, there's Luke Skywalker. He's going to be around, like, you know, you look at Disney. Disney doesn't make up characters for their parks. They have characters from their movies that you can go and see and talk to and experience and take pictures with and stuff like that. Where, as opposed to Galaxy's Edge, you might see Kylo Ren and a couple of of uh, um, stormtroopers, but that's you know that's pretty much the only thing that they have selling for them. So I, I don't know. I'm a little confused as to the marketing with Galaxy's Edge. It doesn't appeal to me personally. Uh, I'm glad if somebody has gone and really enjoyed it or if they really look forward to it, by all means, go have fun, take some pictures, go check out the Millennium Falcon. Um, For somebody that doesn't really go to amusement parks very often, I need something a little bit more. Yeah, we need a uh, special report from David Triana, who lives in Florida, to see uh, what his take is. Uh, David, next time you're there, uh, let us know. File a report for us. Like I said, you, and you're right, the, that second ride is not going to open till later. Uh, and uh, I read somewhere that the second ride is really related to what is going to happen in The Rise of Skywalker. So that's one of the reasons that they couldn't release it before the movie came out, because it would uh, spoil uh. some things. Uh, okay. which, which, again, you know, I mean, I, I get it. But then even after that, what, it, it's still only two rides. So you're right. I think it's more of a photo op, which, you know, a lot of people really enjoy, and I, I would be one of them because you're engulfed in this environment that's totally cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you're right. You're spending a lot of money. You're spending a lot of money to go there. You're spending a lot of money to, to, to build, uh, you know, these these uh, trinkets. So there's another piece of uh, Star Wars news uh, regarding uh, post-production of The Rise of Skywalker, and you had mentioned that... Uh, uh, I guess uh, JJ and his team, they were editing the Rise of Skywalker on set, and it's something that he didn't want to do creatively. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think with JJ, what he was speaking of is typically, uh, I guess for him specifically, you film everything you can possibly think of, all the scripts, all the scenes, you film as many as much stuff as possible, and then you sit down in the editing room and you put it together and you craft your film editing on the fly while you're still filming kind of limits your your uh, hindsight a little bit so you don't really have the ability to step back and look at the whole picture and kind of edit together what you want certain elements to be you kind of just have to go with the flow i'm i'm hopeful i think i think it is a mixture of um 
time constraint. Like, obviously, they had to get this film done within a certain time period because they had already announced its release date, like, two years ago. So they knew when they were going to release it. And then, of course, you had the the behind-the-scenes drama with uh, losing a director and having to call J.J. back for the third film. There's a lot of elements at key uh, at uh, in the background that moving pieces that have to be put together. So I think I think it's a little bit of both. Honestly, I hope you're right. I hope they just have a four-hour movie ready for us when it comes December. You know, and they're like, "Hey, we had to edit it because we knew that we weren't going to be able to finish it in time because the movie's four and a half hours long." Congratulations, Star Wars fans! You got that would be awesome. That would be fantastic. I would absolutely do that. I, it doesn't make much sense business-wise because, you know, with uh, ticket sales and stuff like that and time slots for movies, you don't want your movie to be overly long. But, I mean, by all means, man, give me Lord of the Rings-length Star yeah, Wars movies that, all day long. that would be fantastic. But, you know, there's uh, certain advantages of uh, cutting on set. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, the actors, you've got the crew, you've got things that maybe you missed during the film where you don't have to kind of go back and reschedule weeks after the fact. you got everything right there. You can kind of take a look at things and, you know, maybe finesse and, and perf- uh, perfect them uh, right then and there. So I think this can only be a good thing uh, in order to make uh, a really good uh, Star Wars finale and uh, more power to them. I know people have a lot of different opinions about J.J., but for me personally, I think he's done a, a really good job uh, with the franchises that he's taken on. Uh, I am a fan of his Star Trek movies. I, I enjoyed them. I, he has <laughs> he has this really great ability to, to flash things up and to make them really uh, super accessible and, and popular and kind of breathe new revitalized life into certain things. And uh, I hope that he I hope that he takes the the burden of the Star Wars franchise, its final episodic Skywalker movie, uh, very seriously, and I hope he pulls it through. And I'm I'm rooting for him. I really am. I hope he does everything that we want him to do. And and uh, I I'm looking forward to December so I can actually sit down and and see what he has to present to us. Yeah, I too am definitely a fan of JJ, and I'm looking forward to Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. There's new leadership at uh, Lucasfilm. Uh, what do you think of that? Yes, Michelle, what's her last name? Rejwan, I, th- <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. Rejwan, yeah, for, please forgive us if we're mis- mispronouncing it. Uh, that's great, you know, more hands on deck. Uh, we have a, a fresh new face uh, to kind of guide the franchise in, this, in whichever new direction it's going to be going in in the future. Um, Kathleen Kennedy is, is stepping back a little bit and taking on more of the role that she's, I think, probably used to as producer as kind of the big picture person um and then we have michelle here who uh, i looked up her imdb she's got some decent film credits like we said you and i are both fans of the star trek uh movies that jj did she was involved in those uh it seems like she's been working with bad robot which is a jj abrams company so it seems like she's gonna been his protege she's kind of learning on uh from him through the past uh 10 years or so I haven't really heard anything from her. She hasn't given any speeches that I know of. We haven't really gotten a, um, an idea of, of who she is on a personal level or how she feels about Star Wars, but we know we have a, a huge amount of stuff, of uh, content coming out. We've got Mandalorian. We've got the uh, the new trilogy coming out in a couple of years in 2022, so it's it's going to be interesting. She's uh, she's a little new. you know. She doesn't have that many credits to her, so she's this is a fresh start for her. Um, it's a big job, and I'm rooting for her. I really hope she pulls through, and I hope that she's a great 
uh, leader for Lucasfilm and Star Wars in general. I agree. And uh, her title is Senior VP of Live Action Development and Production for Lucasfilm. Uh, she's uh, got uh, quite a role to fill. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's an article. Uh, they Marie Claire Magazine did a little Q&A with her. And uh, she, you're right. She's been working with J.J., and Bad Robot for uh, many years and uh, side by side with JJ. I think she'll do well. I'm very excited to see what she has to offer us fans when it comes to Star Wars. And uh, I'm looking forward to to uh, yeah to hearing from her in the future, maybe reading uh, a little bit more about uh, her qualifications. I think uh, we should all give her a chance, obviously, because... Uh, um, it's like you said, it's a fresh new take on things and, uh, I'm looking forward to see what she has to say. Yeah, for sure. She definitely deserves a ch- uh, the benefit of the doubt, the chance that we should all allow her to take some risks and to do something with the Star Wars uh, franchise and to push it forward in the future. And hopefully we can get some great content. And if anybody from Lucasfilm is listening, please start LucasArts back up and get some video games out there, people. <laughs> oh, yes. You know what? I, I even miss I even miss their little logo of the little Lucasfilm dude coming out and throwing the lightsaber oh. out and coming in and, and having catch. So I awesome. love that. Bring back LucasArts. <laughs> I love those old video games. Uh and you know what? Even if they didn't want to put too much money into that, if there was kind of a, a department of the franchise that they were kind of just allowing to do its own thing, like put out some point-and-click uh, uh, old-school, you know, video games like uh, like Indiana Jones and the last uh, the Fate of Atlantis. Just you know, make something with Star Wars where you have to go and travel around and solve puzzles. Like I want Lucasfilm back, man. Lucasfilm was amazing in the '90s, and I I would love for them to revamp that department of the franchise of the, of Lucasfilm itself, and and start getting a creative team in there and some making some cool content for us. Now is the age of of video games, right? We can play video games on our phones. Yeah. We can play video games anywhere, and you know now is the time to strike. The iron is the hot. People. Iron is hot. On the streets of Coruscant. All right, everybody. And now we're going to hear a word from our far-reaching fans and followers from all countries around the world. From Mexico City, Raul Mares is going to be talking to us about Star Wars technology. And, Ro, what's his Twitter handle? Excellent. Yeah, Raul is from Mexico. He uh, gave us a little history about lightsabers in our Legacy of the Force podcast last time around. He's going to talk about Star Wars technology. He is Raul Mares 72 and we'll put his handle in our description of today's show so you guys can follow. He always has some great posts about Star Wars technology, toys, collectibles, and a little bit of history and art about our favorite franchise, Raul Mares. Take it away. going to talk a little bit now about how lightsaber operates and uh, a little bit of history uh, behind the origin of uh, lightsabers.
The powerful blade of lightsaber resulted from a beam of energy focused through a series of crystals that channeled through circuits and energizers inside a hilt. This lightsaber hilt consisted of a metal cylinder between 24 and probably 30 centimeters in length. The lightsaber mechanisms were contained within the hilt. High levels of energy generated by a high output power cell was unleashed through a series of focusing lenses and energizers that converted the energy into plasma. The plasma was then projected through a set of lightsaber crystals that lent the blade its properties and allowed for the adjustments of blade length and power output. The ideal number of crystals was three, although in order to create a lightsaber, perhaps only one was required as a minimum. Force Saber, actually, was a precursor created by the Rakata, going into the origins of lightsabers. We're talking about the Force Saber being the, the first the first sign of a lightsaber as a precursor. These four sabers, also known, but created by the Rakata, also known by, as the builders, were at least uh, generated or built uh, 25,000 years or more before the, Yavin, uh, the Battle of Yavin. This weapon would eventually evolve into the lightsaber, as I said. For millennia afterwards, the Jedi continued to use bladed weapons like swords as lightsabers had not yet been refined for regular use. Around 15,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, a method to generate a focused beam of energy that arced in a circumferential path back to its source was developed, creating a, a controlled energy circuit and leading to the first portable high-energy blades. Then commonly known as lightsabers. However, these preliminary lightsabers were highly unstable and inefficiently guzzled energy from the belt-mounted power supply. They could only be used for a brief duration before overheating. As a consequence of these flaws, the first lightsabers were more uh, were little more than ceremonial objects, seldomly worn and much less utilized. Down the road, uh, technology advanced very, very much, and it allowed all the circuitry and, and uh, elements inside a lightsaber to be uh, minimized inside the hilt, and then they were successfully evolved as the lightsabers that we know uh, uh, Jedi's used later on throughout their history. Any final thoughts on Star Wars? Is Star Wars dead or any other item that we talked about tonight? Um, I would just say a quick answer to that question is no, it is not dead. It is simply just trying to find its way in the modern age. And uh, it might be a bumpy ride, but I think it's going to be okay in the long run. Uh, as long as we, the fans, are um, supportive of what we like. And we can be critical of what we don't like as long as we have a balance of both. You know, if you if you see something that you like that Lucasfilm is doing, don't let The Last Jedi or your displeasure with the franchise ruin something that could potentially be great. Of course, tell them that you love something. If, if Mandalorian comes out and it's just perfect, let them know. Let them know what you like. Tell them on Twitter. You know, it's the age of social media. Let them know, hey, I really love this show. You know, I love the direction that you're going with this. They listen to that. They hear that. They see those reactions from fans, and they will 
they're interested in making money and making money means pleasing fans so they're going to go in the direction that they see a majority of the people want to go in so you know give everything a chance uh, whatever new is coming out the db and wise trilogy uh, regardless of how you feel about game of thrones give that a chance maybe they'll knock it out of the park let them know what you like criticize reasonably criticize what you don't like excellent message alex and uh, that's what we're all about i want to say again a very heartfelt thank you to all the folks that participated in our little question on twitter uh, regarding uh, is star wars dead you guys kept it civil and uh, responsible and we uh, thank you very much for that uh, we just want to have a discussion about Star Wars. That's what we're, we're all about. We're all fans, and that's what makes us family. And that, my friends, is the scuttlebutt. Hey, talk about the Wars, Princess Leia, and Jabba.